Welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. Mark, so welcome to the uh, Talking Joy podcast. Um, You're the author of Thank You for Being Such a Pain, a Spiritual Guidance for Dealing with Difficult People. Um, And I have found in my own life that uh, although, you know, I practice spiritual practices and I try to live the best life that I can live and I'm constantly open to growing and stretching myself as a human being, I still um, run into difficult people in my life. And um, I've used your book over the years several times when I've had things bubble up. And it's such a great reminder of the simplicity of um, things that we can do that we can apply to our lives to help us in these ways. But I think one of my biggest takeaways from your book is that it's not always about that other person and how they're driving me crazy. It's about how it's affecting me and sort of my response to it. Um, yes, that's, uh, that is the message of the book. Yeah. That is the central message of the book. Um, so I'm just curious about you and wondering, you know, you mentioned your mom somewhere when I was reading about you and I thought, oh, you know, they're usually when, when someone has so much wisdom, I believe that you had a great wisdom teacher and often that's your, our mother or father and your mother seemed like, um, you know, from what I read, just like such a kind, compassionate person. And would you, um, say that some of the gifts that you're offering people that you've, you were taught them? Um, You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because my parents were very, you know, pretty simple people and uh, not overtly spiritual in, in the way that they approached life, but they were really kind and caring and, uh, and loving people who had really strong, strong values. So, uh, you know, I learned from them more by example than by sort of verbal teaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, just the way that they interacted with others and the way they interacted with each other and the way they conducted their lives with integrity. I mean, that, that was really the the inspiration, that was the inspiration. And and the spiritual part of me um, really just emerged because it was there. I I mean, I I don't have any other explanation for it. It's not as though I grew up in a deeply spiritual household, but I, from a very young age, I was a deeply spiritual person. And how how would you define that? What does that mean to you by being a deeply deeply spiritual person? And and I know we're not talking about religion, and and that's one of the things I love about spiritual life is that it's available to all of us. You know, we can have our beliefs in other areas, but yet this spiritual part that you're talking about is this personal sort of... Yeah, I, I think really, for me, it means that I knew there was a higher reality. 
Mm. And I always wanted to understand it. And, uh, and I knew that life was not just going to school, getting a job, making money, buying a house, raising kids. I, uh, I, I knew there was more. Uh, and I wanted to understand what that more was from a, from a relatively early age. And so it sort of set me apart from my peers because I just, you know, I, I was just interested in different things than they were. Uh, you know, they were out playing ball and, and, you know, buying clothes and listening to the Beatles. And then I was at the library reading you know, taking out five books a week. And, you know, so I was just always a very curious, you know, kid who really wanted to gain more uh, insight into why we're here on this planet and what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you had um, an experience as a child uh, where you witnessed a lot of grace and a lot of uh, kindness towards others. And it was more of not being told. And and this is such an important noticing because um, as parents, you know, I know that my dad, you know, at least from, from my childhood, my father was always giving, he was always giving stuff to people and he wasn't telling me that he was doing that. I just went along for the ride. I got in the car, we dropped off fresh food to someone. Um, and so I witnessed a lot of giving. And I think that because of that, I know what that means. And I know what it, and I saw what the receiving end looked like. And I know what it feels like to give. And it sounds like that was your, your experience as a child was more about witnessing your parents with, uh, with the way that, that they conducted themselves in the world. And I think that that goes, that's, that's our best teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, more than, than, than words ever will be. And so when you say that, so it's, um, sound, it sounds like you were a seeker as a young child. Um, and so what, what did you learn as, as you grew about people and, and, you know, all of these inner dynamics? I mean, did you have a person that you don't need to mention, but was there an aha person in your life where you thought they're a real pain and how am I going to, like how did it bring? Well, there were there were. I mean, there were lots of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think you know, uh, and I and I spent time on this in the book. Uh, you know, my father was difficult, mm-hmm. and he was a good person, but he was a difficult person, and uh, he was a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, he went through just un- unspeakably horrible uh, experiences during World War II, and. Uh, he never talked about it, but it certainly was there deep within. And when he was, you know, being difficult as a kid, I, you know, I could be upset and I could always, but I could also say to myself, you know, considering what he went through in the war, it's sort of hard to be upset with him. So, you know, just growing up with somebody like that, you're you're sort of always looking for a reason for their difficult behavior. And I had one built in. It was just always there. So it it kind of trained me to ask that question if someone is being difficult to sort of, well, why, what 
what what in their past might have caused them to be this way or what's happening in their life now that might cause them to be this way? You know what I love about that question too is it takes it away from being about me and really gets takes my glasses and you know focused on them versus myself for a moment. And I think that often in difficult relationships, I might be thinking about how it's affecting me and how it's disrupting my life. And this is like really more, a much more compassionate way of looking at another and asking some questions about well, why would they be like this? And, you know, of course my father had this incredibly, you know, painful life in ways that I have no idea about. And to see it that way, I think is beautiful. Wow. Well, I mean, that was, uh, it was sort of the only, it was the only, <laughs> it was the only way to, to, to deal with it as a kid. I mean, like, you, what do you do, right? You can't leave home. You can't fight your father. You know, you just have to sort of figure out how do I get through this, mm. you know? So, uh, yeah, it was a very, it was a very, I mean, children of Holocaust survivors in general have identifiable life patterns and issues. And uh, so I'm not alone uh, in the sense that there are many, many, many others like me who had parents who went through that kind of experience, that kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. A war trauma, um, and you know, there's a whole psychological literature on how uh, the generation, the next generation, is shaped by uh, parents who underwent war trauma. So, um, you know, as an adult, I came to learn about and understand this in a more sophisticated way. Mm -hmm. But as a kid, it was it was just a reality that I was aware of. Yeah. I think there's, yeah, and I, I think there's that added layer on it too, that maybe because you were a seeker and you were um, so thoughtful that you were able to, to shift your perspective, this, this different lens for seeing the situation instead of thinking about like, why me? Or, um, you know, this is painful that you were able to shift it towards having this compassion for him. Moving to, you know, to everyday relationships when somebody comes on my path and I think, oh, well here, you know, I'm, I'm awake enough that I see people coming and I think, oh, they just have a different outfit on, but it's the same, it's the same, it's the same thing. And what I've learned from your book too, is that um, I can sense what my reaction is. Like, I know, you know, you wrote down um, or you have the different types of reactions that we could have that when difficult people come across our path that we, there's six options. Um, we ignore them. Um, we make nice. We can get them out of our lives. We can get even, um, which is kind of dangerous, right? And then uh, taking things over, stopping to stop or change them. And then the sixth one says, you know, what if I make some inner changes you know, on myself, like shifting my perspective, which we talked about. Um, and I know for, for me, I'm one of those people who wants to just get them out of my life. Like I'll, I'll, I'll cut you off or, and it sounds terrible. I, you know, I'm a spiritual director, but if I know that somebody's going to be too painful for me, I sort of push them away. Um, 
What would you say is the most typical or common reaction? Is there one or do we all, we're all just made differently and we? Well, yeah, let's, I mean, let's first make a distinction between difficult people and dangerous people. Yes, okay? please. All right. Yeah. Because, uh, because uh, I mean, I wrote a book, I wrote a book about how to, how to respond to people who drive us crazy. Mm-hmm. It's not a book about how to deal with people who are dangerous and could harm us. Yes, I agree. Yeah. You know, physically. So, uh, you know, if someone is dangerous, just get away. Yes. Just remove yourself from the situation and get legal or, you know, or professional or both kind of help. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that just goes without saying. I mean, don't stick around if there's danger. Okay. No, and that's really important that you say that yeah. before we get in any further here. Yeah. Right. If it's if it's a if it's just difficult, meaning that the problem is emotional, is that you experience and and the way that the book starts, I, I make the point that the definition of a difficult person is someone who causes us to feel emotions we'd rather not be feeling. It's about emotions. It's about emotions. So if we're experiencing undesirable emotions as a result of someone's behavior, uh, then there are, as you pointed out, there's different ways of responding uh, to address those emotions. And, uh, you know, I think it is very common for people to just, you know, get away and, and uh, end the relationship or minimize the contact. And that, that's one approach and it's a very common approach. And I think lots of other people will just ignore it or avoid it or make nice. I think that's also a very common approach. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, the more productive and the, the braver approach is really to, to take it on and work it through. And, and that means working on your own feelings and communicating with the other person, you know, and if your feelings are such that you cannot have a productive conversation with the other person, then you have to deal with the feelings first Mm. because those will derail any productive conversation. Um, You know, and, and it's surprising how effective it is to address, uh, to address a difficult situation rather than avoid it. I mean, I just very recently, uh, I serve, you know, I serve on the board of a nonprofit and another board member and I were not seeing eye to eye, mm-hmm. but neither one of us was addressing it directly. And so I finally just sent him an email and said, let's talk. And we had a, he was, I think he was somewhat caught, he was somewhat caught by surprise. And I just said, you know, we seem to have some difficulty working together. Let's discuss it. And that's refreshingly candid and not all that common. Mm. And, uh, and it should be more common. Yeah. That, that you just come out and say, we're having some difficulties. Not like you're driving me crazy or you're a jerk and I want you to stop it, but we're having some difficulties. Can we talk about it? And then it's, a neutral, it's on neutral ground. It's mm-hmm. not the other person's fault. It's not your fault. It's just identifying the reality. Um, and and that's, you, that's the less common approach. 
And it should be more common is what I'm saying. And I'm saying it should be more common, but it's a skill like anything. And it takes practice and it takes a little bit of courage and it takes uh, some degree of maturity with respect to how one handles difficult emotions. Yeah, that's a great point because uh, I was thinking as you were talking about that, that fear often blocks us from wanting to, to go there. But what I'm hearing is that if you start this as a practice or an approach, um, that there's freedom on the other side of it. There's freedom to be more of yourself, to be more honest with people. Um, there's freedom now, um, I would imagine with you and this person that, that wasn't there before, that it can shift the dynamic between the two of you and you might not be best friends, but you can at least coexist and work together in a, in a much more pleasant environment. Yes. I mean, it, it, he, he was surprised and then he ended up thanking me for initiating mm-hmm. the conversation. Yeah. You know, I've and, and, and I do have, I mean, I do have a, a sort of a, a history of transforming very difficult relationships into good working relationships. Not always. I'm not always successful. But some people that I, in the past I would have considered an enemy or at least a very difficult person and I now get along quite well. So, and it's taken time and it's taken effort, but you can, and you can transform those kinds of difficult relationships. Do you think it also has something to do with the the person that you approached is that you saw them as a, a valuable person, like you recognize them as another human being that had also had thoughts, values, and feelings it, it sort of validates them. And I'm not sure that's why he thanked you. Yeah. I mean, everyone's important. Yes. Right. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's created in the image of God and everyone's important. And if, if one takes a utilitarian view of relationships, then you only work on the ones that, you know, benefit you and you ignore the ones that don't. And uh, if you take a spiritual point of view, then every relationship is important. Yeah. And that we miss out, uh, I think, you know, and I, and this was another takeaway from your book, but you miss out on valuable information and learning that we're here to do on ourselves when we hightail it out of there and run away from these, these difficult relationships. Right. I I mean, the, 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 the underlying premise of my book is that uh, our encounters in life are not random. Mm. So if, if we live in a purposeful universe where there are opportunities all the time for us to grow closer to God and work on our character and overcome our weaknesses and, and in general, just become better people, then every single relationship and every single difficult person is a, is an opportunity for one to work on oneself and, find a way to go close, grow, grow closer to God. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look that way when it's happening. Yes. You know, it's sort of like the, it's, it's, there's a life fallacy, which is that if something feels good, it's good. And if something doesn't feel good, it's not good. And, uh, and that sort of approach is misleading and, and, and misguided because some things that feel good are not good, you know, drugs, whatever, you know, for example, yeah. uh, some things that don't feel good, medical treatments are actually quite good. 
you know, so if we sort of step aside from the emotional reaction, uh, something that might be emotionally difficult might actually be very good for us. We just cannot see it at the time. We can't step outside of the immediate inner experience to objectively look at it and, and say, you know what, this person who's driving me crazy is actually helping me to learn how to speak up for myself mm. because I usually let people walk all, all over me, for example, right? Wow. Right, I'm developing some courage now to speak up and let this person know that well, their, their behavior is not acceptable. In the past, I would have just let them get away with it. Mm. So we're in pain, but that pain pushes us to growth. And so, uh, so every encounter with, with a, a difficult person is an opportunity for personal growth. If we can see that and use it and, and use that experience in that fashion. And what would your suggestions be for somebody to help them see that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the growth in my own life, I can see in hindsight, you know, I think, oh, wow, well, that difficult situation, I wouldn't be here. Or if they hadn't invited me to stand up in church and talk in public, I never would be able to do this because I was afraid to. And, and, so the, those things that I broke through and I thought, well, I'm just going to say yes. Um, how would you coach somebody in that way? Well, I, I like what you said that you can only see it in hindsight. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, in, in the Bible, God says to Moses, you can't see my face and lip. You can, you, and then Moses only gets to see God's back, right? So it's, it's like, that's how God works. It's like, you can't see God's face in the moment. You can only see God's back. Mm-hmm. You can only see God's work in hindsight. Yeah. And so, uh, so it's it's really almost impossible to know what the spiritual lesson is in a given experience. But just knowing there is one. Mm, there we go. Yeah. Just knowing there is one that I don't know why this is happening and I can't stand it and it's eating me up. But God, you sent this to me for a reason. Please, please help me to understand the reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, there can be all kinds of reasons. I mean, that you, again, would only understand in hindsight years later, maybe. Yeah. Years later. You know, uh, I had a very difficult advisor in graduate school who really made my life miserable. Um, and it was the best thing that could have happened to me because I was on a misguided path professionally. And uh, I was trying to become something that I really wasn't. Mm-hmm. And his behavior that basically delayed my PhD for two years helped me to understand that I needed to take a different path professionally. And did he see that or was his just his no, difficulty? Got he, was, he was just being difficult. Okay. I mean, he was just being difficult. He was an instrument of God. He didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and he would never have acknowledged that, but he was. 
because you know it it really uh, set me on a different path professionally that I'm that I'm really so grateful I took because mm. the path I was originally on was not for me, and it would have led to a lot of misery and failure. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, getting back to your original question, you know, how do we know? We don't. We just know that there is a reason that this is not happening randomly. It's happening for a reason and that we need to find ways to uh, be open to learning and growing as it's happening. And sometimes that just means confiding in a friend mm -hmm. or going to a therapist or keeping a journal or analyzing your dreams or meditating whatever, or jogging, right? I mean, you know. Which I think all of those things that you just mentioned are all spiritual practices. Yeah. You know, Self-care, care for your body. Um, you know, when you go for exercise, you, there's this release. Um, when I meditate, I come out of my, you know, I meditated earlier this morning. When I come out, I feel refreshed and, and focused and ready for the day. And those are all, so, so what I'm hearing is nurturing of your soul, nurturing of care of yourself, during those difficult times until maybe the teaching or the understanding, um, you know, is revealed or maybe it's never revealed. Right. And then the, the, the approach that isn't productive is to uh, numb yourself. So uh, some people do it with alcohol. Some people do it with food. Some people do it with, um, gambling uh, or shopping, right? Let's distract ourselves and make ourselves feel better. And, and none of those things is sort of bad, but in excess, it becomes an addiction. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, and it's temporary, sort of that numb, that numbing is temporary. Oh, very temporary. And then the, very temporary. the pain or whatever you were trying to numb is right back, you're right back with it. That's correct. That's correct. So, um, you know, if we sort of look at alcohol consumption in this country, and I mean, how much of that is people responding to life with a desire to, you know, tune out whatever the pain is, yeah. instead of taking it on? I just did a podcast with a, a woman who is a former alcoholic, and I did it for the reason that you're talking about, because um, especially with the pandemic, I think that people kind of vamped up their, their alcohol consumption. And, and it's just an important, um, you know, piece to our spirituality is to being more awake to our lives and, and not using that as a, um, you know, like you were talking about as a numbing tool. Um, and then you hurt yourself physically, you know, their physical you know, right. consequences. Right. I mean, that lifestyle. I mean, I, you know, some people use food, but, you know, there's nothing in your refrigerator that's going to help your relationship. <laughs> you know, being aware that going through the pain is really the only way, the only way to the other side. Would you agree that going through the pain, you're temporarily uncomfortable? Meaning that might be, you know, might be long or stretched, but um, that 
you know, and we talked about this a little while ago, but that there's this freedom or this growth at the other side of it. So, you know, why would I not want to numb myself? Why would I want to go through that? And, 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 and what's on the other side for me, if I'm, you know, honest with myself and in these difficult relationships and, and want to work on myself? Yes. I mean, the pain is temporary. And uh, I think that one of the skills I had to learn uh, was to just let the pain be there mm-hmm. and not numb it and not push it down and not distract myself, but to just just close my eyes and feel it and, and identify where it is in my body mm-hmm. until it passes. And I think as a general rule of thumb, it, 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 it'll shift after about 20 seconds if you pay attention to it. Right. I I think about 20 seconds. I'm just Uh, saying that that's just, and I love what you just said about the body, because I talk about that a lot in my practices that the intellectual center sort of wants to analyze things and things come at us and we sort of want to turn it over and look at it in all these different ways. And the, the emotional center, the body recognizes things for what they really are. You know, you feel it somewhere, you know, when I, you know, my mother died when I was younger. And, and when I think about that, like my throat, you know, if I'm feeling emotional about it, I can feel it like all in my heart space. That yes. I know where I feel that in my body when it bubbles up or if I, I you know, when, before I had kids, if I saw a mother and a daughter, you know, holding hands, I, oh, you know, cause I missed that. Um, and so I know what that feels like and where it, where it affects me in my body. I love that you, that you're mentioning that. Well, there's a, there's an exercise in the book and that I, I used to that I, I used to do in my workshops, uh, where I ask people to sit and close their eyes and tune into their bodies. And then it's sort of a guided meditation. And then I ask them to think of someone they love and who loves them. And to and to just sit with that and then see how see where that where they feel that in their body. Do they feel a lightness in their heart? Is there a smile on their face? you know, where in your body are you feeling this loving person? And then next I say, okay, now think of somebody who's difficult. Where do you feel that in your body? And people will feel like their fists will clench and they'll find their breathing shifts. They'll find a tightness in their chest. So, and so literally that's where it all starts. It's like, if someone's difficult, it's because we're feeling something in our body. And then later on, we might say, oh, oh, you know, that person makes me angry or that person makes me feel, you know, less than or or whatever. But it starts in the body. It starts in the body. So body awareness, developing the skill of tuning into one's body and feeling the emotional currents and letting them flow rather than stopping them or numbing them. Yeah. Cause that's when the minute you start to feel that you head to the kitchen to look for something to, to pacify yourself. Right. Cause you're like, Oh, oh, oh I don't, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to feel that right now. And right. your invitation is to stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. It's like a crying child. Don't shut the door mm-hmm. on the bedroom and walk away. Go hug the child. Yeah. 
and hold it mm-hmm. until it stops crying. Except in this case, the crying child is you, inside of you. And you need to give that child a hug and hold it. And I, I'm not really talking about inner child stuff. I'm really just talking about emotions being like crying children that are, are, are calling for attention and, and nurturing and love and to give that to yourself. Tell me a little bit more about how you're gonna offer that to yourself. Um, if a friend came to you and was hurting, you would treat them with compassion and kindness. Give yourself that same compassion and kindness that you would give to another. It's, it's that water jug, you know, of like pouring out. We so easily pour out for others, but if we don't refill the jug. Right. Um, right. You know, there's, there's nothing left. It's empty. Yeah. It's easier to care for others than it is to care for our own selves. Yes. But in those moments where we're hurting in a, in a, as a result of a relationship, we need to give ourselves that same compassion and caring that we would give to a friend. Mm, I love that. It's so, it's so, it's so simple, but so valuable and so important. And so, so easy to apply if we're willing and open to it, um, to catch. And, 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 you know, I'm thinking too, it's like you catch yourself in those moments. There has to be sort of this enough self-awareness to see it bubbling up, to feel it, the sensation in your body, to catch it and to say, oh, there you are. I'm not gonna run from, from this right now. I'm gonna sit with it for 20 seconds and just breathe. Uh, I mean, it might not go away in 20 seconds, but it's gonna shift in 20 seconds. It's gonna shift. Some, there's gonna be like a, ah, moment where whatever it was, the intensity is gonna lessen. And it's kind of like, it reminds me of, you know, somebody angers me and I'm so mad about something and I'll talk about it for a couple of days and my, I'll tell my husband, I'll tell my best friend and can you, can you believe this? Can you believe this? But then it subsides like over time, like a week or two later, I think back, wow, I was so furious over that, but now I'm on to the next thing or I'm busy and I kind of, I've gotten away from it and it sort of has subsided. So those emotions are temporary. They are always temporary. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that you talked about in the book that I loved was when you had this tennis partner in, in high school, I, maybe his name was Ted. I don't know. If yes, it was. Ted. You played with him and it was an easy game. And I've had this same experience. I played with people and it's, it's comfortable. And then I played with a woman once in high school who shot shot over the net so fast that it was like a speeding bullet. I couldn't even, (laughs) but it woke me up to wanting to kind of get better. And so can you tell me a little bit about that? When life is easy, we don't really have a motivation to grow and change. And when we get challenged, then we're forced to grow and change. And so you know, in, in the book, I tell that story about, you know, my friend uh, in high school that I used to play tennis with, and it was easy, it was fun, and we didn't take it seriously. And then later on, I had other opponents who were much better, and I really had to improve my tennis game. And, and uh, I didn't like it, 
but it was good for me. Mm. And, and so that's really the, uh, you know, the wisdom underneath the difficulties, which is that they're, they're happening because there's a growth opportunity. Mm. And that growth may be slow and painful and unwelcome, but it's obviously necessary or life wouldn't be sending that to you at that time. Do you think that people are seeking comfortable lives though? And that they want things to feel comfortable and easy all the time, perhaps? And that uh, it isn't until these difficulties come along that sort of take us a little out of that comfort zone and push us? Uh, you know, you raise a really, a really interesting point that I've been, I've been thinking about recently, which is I've always admired people I've always admired people who just change for the sake of change. Like, okay, I've been in this job for 10 years. Everything's fine. You know, I keep getting promoted. I, I get, I, I'm paid well. They like me here, but 10 years is enough. I'm, it's time for something new, right? And, and so they change, right? And external circumstances didn't kick them in the butt and, and make them change. They just decided it was time. And then there's other people who just hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on until it gets bad. And then it gets really bad. And then it's like, all right, got to change. You know, when life sends us a jolt, when life sends us a jolt, it's because the gentle nudges were being ignored earlier. God wants us to grow closer to him or her or whatever pronoun you want to use. Um, the universe, let's say. Uh, if we're not moving in that direction, we get gentle nudges. And if we ignore the gentle nudges, the nudges get a little nudgier until we start to get it, we, then we get jolted and then we have to wake up. You know, I mean, I, I once heard a spiritual teacher say it's sort of like sleeping on the bus, right? You know, uh, you know, you're on a bus ride, it's, it's a smooth bus ride. You're really just kind of sleeping on the bus. And then all of a sudden there's a big jolt and it wakes you up, right? Well, you missed the, you missed all the other things along the ride. You know, there was like, there was beautiful scenery on the, on the route, but you missed it because you weren't paying attention. And then the bus jolts and all of a sudden you wake up and you say, oh, okay, I better be paying attention. Mm -hmm. So a difficult person means that you know, there's a lesson that could only be brought to your attention if it would be rejolted. Uh, you know, I admire the people who don't need the jolts. Mm. What do you think makes those people different? How, how do you say I, I, I wish I knew because, because I'd rather be one of those, <laughs> you know, uh, but then you I, would be, then you would be too comfy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I, you know, it's such a good question. And I, I wish I had a, I could be very glib and, you know, I could sort of pretend I have great wisdom here, but I don't. I mean, I, I just don't know why some people pick up on the subtle cues and some people need to get clobbered. Yeah. And I, I tend to be in the latter category, which is why I wrote a book about difficult people, because I kept getting clobbered, you know, because I wasn't paying attention when I was younger. 
mm. you know, and I would say that it happens much less now, but when I was younger, all the time. Yeah. I was like a magnet for difficult people because <laughs> I had a lot of work to do on myself. Yeah. And, and I wasn't doing that work. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I told my daughter once there was somebody in, in elementary school that drove her crazy and she would talk about this person nonstop. And I tried, you know, all of the, my, you know, my tricks of like, well, let's have her over for a play date. That'll definitely the one-on-one time while I ended up connecting with the kid and my daughter was still mad. I was like, how come you liked her so much? <laughs> and so that kind of backfired on me. And uh, just say her name was Susie Jones, just for the sake of the podcast. Um, I finally said to her, I said, every, you know, I said, for the rest of your life, there'll always be a Susie Jones. It's how you, you react to her. And if you form that same reaction to her from second grade all the way through, I said, you're going to meet her in middle school. You're going to meet her in high school. You're going to meet her in college. You're going to meet her in the work world. And, and I, my suggestion, and it kind of is in line with your book, is that my daughter needed to find out what it was about that type of person that irritated her and pushed her buttons so much in order to respond in a better way. It went then, you know, it's sort of like you're talking about, like the, the universe will keep presenting that person to us until we figure out what emotionally is being triggered in us to react <laughs> in such a negative way. Uh, that's, uh, that's exactly, exactly right. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. But I just wish that I could apply that. Like I said, I, I dusted off your book <laughs> and and brought it off the shelf because, um, you know, there's a difficult person who's been in my life for uh, long decades and it just bubbles up. And then I, I do that same thing where I think, well, I just can't deal with this. And I just, but it's, it's family. So, you know, that's, that makes it very difficult for people because you can't run because <laughs> you've got the holidays and, and the, you know, the, the, um, and, and so what do you say about something like that, where like, I feel like I've done all the right things and, um, you know, is that my ego thinking, well, I've, I've done everything right. And there's still this problem. This person won't bend or flex at all. All one can do is act with, honesty and integrity and caring. And if the other person doesn't respond, it's not your problem, it's their problem. You know, I'm familiar with family estrangement, not in my own family, but in families I'm aware of where there's siblings who just haven't talked to each other for years. And it's sad, it's sad, it's sad. and. Um, you know, one sibling might reach out and get no response and then give up, but you just have to, you just have to act with integrity and, and caring. What would you say to, to that talking about siblings? Cause I hear this a lot, at least in my work, the people that, that come to me to talk about, you know, their lives in, in my spiritual direction practice and, uh, I hear that often with siblings. And I remember I was at a friend's uh, son's bar mitzvah and we kind of went off to the side and she was talking to me, um, you know, about a family member. 
and how difficult they are. And I finally said, well, you're reacting, the dynamics in your family, you're all reacting the same way you've always been reacting to that person. How about if you just changed it up a little bit and maybe listened to what he had to say? Or and, and so what do you have to say about that too? Like those patterns in families are sort of, you know, they're they're grooved in and it's it's hard to sort of have new eyes or a new way to shift yourself. Yeah, um, I mean, that's where family therapy really is wonderful mm. to find a really good family therapist who can identify the patterns that are so embedded that nobody can even see that their pattern. But that takes a willingness on everyone's part to do that work. And that's not always likely. Yeah. And especially as adults, you know, people might not be as open to doing that, you know, in their forties, fifties, they probably think that they're beyond that. But what I'm hearing today is that there's always this opportunity for growth and to move beyond all of that towards healing. As long as you're still on this earth taking breath, there's room, there's opportunities for growth and healing and, and uh, transformation. You know, one of, one of the things that, uh, that I read um, in the book that really struck me, that made me make a phone call this week um, to someone was, and, I'm, and let me see if I can find it. Well, go on. And, and, and But anyway, that once somebody is gone that you haven't dealt with a difficult person, then the, there's a, certainly a lot of regret because it's, there's a finality to, to death in that you know, that person isn't here for me to work it through with anymore. And so if, you know, for I told you that my tendency is to push people away, if I push away, push away, and then the person dies, then, you know, those tears over the grave are shed, you know, because of regret. And, you know, there, there's a whole nother layer to, to it then. Well, I mean, death is obviously so final. And then if you have unresolved elements to a relationship and the other party dies, there's a, there's often a lot of regret. Mm -hmm. There's often a lot of regret and it's much better to work that stuff out while the person's still living. And I don't want to live my life in that way. Right. The rest of my life having regrets and thinking, Oh, I could have, I should have, instead of, instead of running down the pike and ignoring it, um, uh, just a great reminder that, you know, we think we're here forever, but we're not. And it's, it's, uh, life is precious and the relationships in our lives are precious and to work on them and feel temporarily uncomfortable, but then to have sort of this freedom, um, at the other side of it, to me, just, uh, just makes so much more sense intellectually. I know it's hard emotionally, um, but I think that your invitation today to sit with it was, was so important. Uh, so I just thought I'd shift gears here and talk a little bit about, um, you know, you did a little piece for spirituality um, and practice magazine, which, which I get. Um, and you talked about, and maybe you want to read this story um, about uh, the mystical teacher, Gurdjieff. Sure. And can you uh, say who, tell us who that is? I know who it is because I've, I've done some of his body work and 
Um, sure. I mean, you know, he was a, um, if I, if I remember correctly, he was a, uh, I was a mystical teacher, you know, um, um, very uh, revered and respected. Um, so here's the story. There's a story about the mystical teacher Gurdjieff and one of his disciples. The disciple who lived in the ashram was strongly disliked by the other disciples for a variety of reasons. When he left, Gurdjieff actually tracked him down and paid him to return, telling the rest of the disciples that the ostracized man was one of their most important teachers. The next time a difficult person comes into your life, it might be helpful to tell yourself something lungs of sigh. Here comes another one. God, I ask you to guide me. You have sent this person to me for a reason. Help me to know what it is and help me to cope successfully. I love that. And I love that uh, there's a tangible way that the next time somebody difficult comes into my life that I can pray. You know, I can ask God for the grace to understand why they're there and to learn from them. And I love that he ran after the kind and brought him back. <laughs> I know that it's a little extreme. <laughs> I'm not a spiritual, I'm not a spiritual mystical teacher. So he must've known something, you know, <laughs> he must've done something, you know? I mean, I think that asking for, asking for spiritual guidance is a really important thing to do. I'm going through something right now and I was about to write an email to the person, a pretty, a pretty confrontational one. And uh, as I was sort of doing it, I just stopped and decided I was going to tune in and ask for guidance. Mm -hmm. And the guidance came to me. This is not the right way to do it. And so I ended up writing a very short and a very neutral email. Uh, which I ultimately felt much better about and probably was a much better way to approach the situation. I mean, it's still unfolding as we speak, Yeah. but I'm glad I sent the neutral short email rather than the long confrontational one. And, and I probably would have sent that long confrontational one if I hadn't paused mm -hmm. and asked for some guidance. That's so important, so important because our, our knee-jerk reaction often is sort of that attack or or assertiveness. And you know, I often think to myself, well, if I were to receive this, you know, how how would I feel? Right. And when when we receive something like that, we right away, you know, it we get our back up in the air. And I bet you that the neutral message was much more well received. Versus, you know, I was talking to somebody who talked about tennis again. Um, there was a woman who was having difficulty with her sister. And I said, it's like playing tennis. She's throwing you the ball and you're throwing it right back and back and forth and nothing's changed. And I said, well, you know, why don't we throw love back? <laughs> you know, throw her, write, write her a loving, let, like stop the, the, the back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because you're getting the same result over and over again. And what I heard is that by asking God for the grace, for the guidance, I always pay for the grace, you know, God, please, um, you know, send some love and some grace around this situation. 
And honestly, you know, God answered because I looked up and there your book was on the bookshelf. <laughs> and and the, just the title of it, I told you this in an email made me burst out laughing because it's like, how, how am I thanking people for just for being such a pain in the neck? Um, your, your book doesn't say thank you for being a pain in the neck. It says thank you for being a pain. Um, but to thank people and to really be open to the gifts, to the offerings uh, that they can bring into my life and how can I grow? And I'm always looking for new ways to grow. And, and I feel like today, like I feel better already having talked to you about situations that I have in my life because they'll always be difficult people, but we always get to choose how we respond to them. Very well said. Yeah. Very, very well said. And, and, and I love that, that, you know, the, my biggest takeaway in, in my response to those difficult people is to inviting God into the midst of it or whoever that is for you, you know, your higher power, like we talked before you use whatever language you're comfortable with. Um, so I often ask uh, my guests what their favorite words to live by are or their favorite quote. Um, do you remember what you what you sent me or do you want me to? Uh, I do, I do. Uh, it was, uh, who is wise? One who learns from every person. Hmm. Say yeah. that one more time. Who is wise? Hmm. Question mark. One who learns from every person. You know, you can learn how to be kinder. You can learn how to be smarter. You can learn how to be, if you're inclined to be a, a thief, you can learn how to be a better thief. I mean, <laughs> not that I'm recommending that, but I mean, every every person has something to teach us. Every person has something to teach us. And are we open to that? I would say we grow best in two ways, in solitude and in community. Uh-huh. And the solitude is that spiritual part of me where I you know, spend time nurturing and caring for myself in my relationship with God. And the rest of the time we spend time in community with our families, you know, with, with people in our faith communities, with people at work. Um, and so we are always encountering other people. And a lot of times there, it's difficult. It's not always uh, perfect and comfy. <laughs> you know, we talked about that a little bit. And I think that we covered, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of ways that, um, that those dynamics appear in our lives and ways that we can um, better approach it for better results. Um, neutral, <laughs> neutral results. <laughs> uh -huh. Is there anything that you'd like to add in, in, in closing? All of us have gone through a very difficult year, mm. a very, very difficult year. Uh, I'm sure some of your listeners have lost loved ones. Uh, lost jobs and it's really hard in these difficult times to hear someone say that we live in a loving universe mm -hmm. but we do we do and uh, we just need to look for that love and bring it into our life mm -hmm. and um, a difficult person may not feel loving but ultimately it's God's love for us and helping us to grow and change so where where is God's love in, in in any given situation? It might feel awful, but it's there. Always there. Always there. If we look for it, if and we for, seek it. And for each and every one of us. Yes. Yeah. It's been a great pleasure. 
I'm Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at TalkingJoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.